like you stole the room with me. Sounds like a real boogeyman once you Freddy's coming for you. And that's what it reminded me of, that old jump rope song. It was the worst nightmare I ever had. You wouldn't believe it. monstrous monstrous is a good word to describing how someone can come back in someone's dreams and make their kids pay for the sins basically of the parents as a way of revenge for what was done to a janitor hello and welcome back to scream addicts i'm jason jenkins call me jinx and that was skeeta jenkins talking about wes craven's 1984 horror classic a nightmare on elm street Mr. Jenkins, in addition to having an awesome last name, is an actor who can currently be seen stealing the screen as Cuddly Bear in Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich. Mr. Jenkins, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Now, can I ask, given the option to choose any horror movie to chat about, why go with The Nightmare on Elm Street? It was the first horror film I ever saw. Oh, wow. So, the, your first ever. That your, like, That's a great one to choose because... I mean, I, I can't imagine many movies would make as much of an impact as that one, especially it being your very first. And it was my last for a couple of years after I saw it <laughs> the first time. <laughs> now, was, it, was it traumatizing to you? How old were you when you first saw it? I think I was 12 when I first saw it, and it was, um, it was a little scary. It was a little more than uh, a young guy kind of wanted to see. And, you know, I saw it with the packed house. Uh, we all went to Baton Rouge. I'm from Louisiana, so we drove from Plaquemine to Baton Rouge, which is about a 10-minute drive, and we all watched it. I was pumped up to watch it, but man, oh man, uh, <laughs> Freddy Krueger, uh, he scared me for a while there. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, you know, it's funny that the movie is actually about dreams and nightmares because his character is such that he will stick with you. He will give you nightmares even long after you've left the theater or turned off the VHS players, as it was in my case. I didn't see the movie, I don't think, until I was around. It was long after the movie had come out. Uh, I, you know, caught glimpses of the uh, the sequels, you know, throughout my childhood. Uh, and I remember my uh, older brother and sister talking about the movie and, uh, you know, this guy who had the uh, the claw glove and the crazy yeah. sweater and the fedora and you know he could actually get to you in your dreams and even hearing that was enough to sort of unsettle my sleep when I was like four or five years old so I didn't you know I was even when I became a horror movie fan in earnest I I was in no hurry to uh to get around to watching that first film but once I did I mean it's 
you know, it's such a smart movie and it's such, such a scary movie. And, you know, it's easy to see why it's one of the greats of the genre and such a classic. Um, and now, can I ask, I, you said it took a couple of years for you to revisit it. Did it at some point make kind of a horror movie fan of you as a kid? Like, would you would you describe yourself as a, a full-fledged horror fan? You know, it kind of, it kind of in a way, steered me away from horror movies for, I mean, for a while, while. And I got a funny story that uh, after watching Nightmare on Elm Street, I went to sleep that night and I literally, and, you know, it's a funny story. It's an embarrassing story, but I'm going to tell it. <laughs> I, I literally did not, I had to go to the restroom and let's just say I was wide awake when I went to the restroom in the bed because I was not going to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, no. And I was not going to sleep. Definitely not going to sleep. And I wasn't getting up to go to the bathroom because it was too dark. So I just went to bed <laughs> and I, suffered the consequences. I, uh, I, when I was young, a couple of them, I, there wasn't even a, a waiting factor involved. Uh, you know, when I was like three or four years old, if I would, uh, try and sneak into the room where my brother or sister were watching like a scary movie and I would catch a glimpse of Jason Voorhees, it's just like, ah, well, you know, there's, uh, there's that done then. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I remember even being young and catching a glimpse of, uh, have you ever seen Pet Cemetery? Yes. Zelda, the crazy sister. <laughs> I, everybody talks about her now, but when I was a kid, you know, I, not many people had seen that movie at my school. I come from like a small town, small school, but, uh, and I was like the, the sole horror movie nerd. But even before I was, I was a huge horror movie fan. I remember being a kid and catching a glimpse of her and it wasn't the undead cat. It wasn't the creepy kid with the scalpel. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't the, the flashback of the, uh, you know, the, the zombie kid, or it wasn't the ghoul that follows around the lead character. It was the sister who was stuck in the bed. And there's that one shot of her where she flips over in bed and addresses the camera directly. I can't tell you how many times I would get up in the middle of the night. I would walk to the door to open it, to cross the hallway, Uh, to run to the restroom or grab a drink of water or whatever. And I would imagine her being on the other side of the door and I would weigh (laughs) the options and be like, is it worth it to open this door? I, even as a kid, even at that age, I was like, there's no chance she's going to be on the other side of this door. I can separate, you know, fantasy and reality. But what if, you know, what? And, and so nine times out of 10, I would turn right back around and I would go to bed and pray for the best. And uh, it took a very long time to get those scars out of my mind. I, I did not revisit that movie for a very long time. And when I saw it again as a teenager, I'm I, I'm not at all ashamed to admit that she still scares the hell out of me even today. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I've over the years, I've kind of got gotten over Freddy Krueger. But man, who? It was such a it was such a well done piece though you know uh, John Saxon Saxon if I'm saying his name wrong as right as Lieutenant Thompson was awesome and I didn't even know Johnny I didn't know Johnny Depp at the time uh, I know he was it later years I figured I found out that it was Johnny Depp that was in the movie but I didn't even know who he was at the time yeah and he's uh, apparently it's his first role or uh, among his first and he's really great in the movie i mean yes. it makes an impression even for uh you know uh the amount of time that he's on the screen and the, the rest of the movie too i will say like 
you know, for being at the time, you know, the movie, obviously, they didn't make it with uh, the knowledge that it was going to be a phenomenon, that it was going to have all these sequels, that it was going to be held up eventually as a classic. But yeah, it was it was just kind of a low budget horror flick that they were making. And yet, you know, Craven cast the hell out of that movie. Every part, you know, from the leads down to the supporting characters are all populated with fantastic actors and they all make an impression. They're all given their moment on screen to shine. And yeah. I think it's one of the stronger casts from that entire era. And, uh, you know, right down to, uh, to Freddy Krueger himself. I think Robert England, uh, he's oh my goodness. a big that reason. Why they... West, 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 West Cravens was a genius ahead of his time. He, he was just awesome. God rest his soul. And then, you know, my favorite character in it was, uh tina gray the lady who played i think her name is amanda weiss who played tina gray yes yeah yeah she was awesome not because and at that time i just thought she was strikingly beautiful i'm just being honest no she Uh, she absolutely was at at that young at that young age of a 12 year old but boy when freddie started doing his thing (laughs) i wanted to go out leave the movie theater You know, she's so great, too, and that you're right. She's strikingly beautiful. Uh, but she, you know, I, I think it's a testament to her performance and also the sort of sleight of hand that Wes Craven pulls when he, he he's telling his story that for a while you can almost be fooled into thinking that she's the final girl. She is the yes. character. She is the one who's going to, you know, take us through the movie. And so it's all the more upsetting and all the more shocking when, uh, you know, she's – tossed around the room and taken up to the yeah. ceiling and cut to pieces. Like it's, I, you know, I, when I watched the movie, I had an awareness that Nancy was the hero. And yet there's something about the movie that even today, when I started, it's like watching psycho and there's something about watching psycho where you, in the first five minutes of the movie, you're completely sucked into that world. And you're convinced yep. that maybe just this time, maybe just this once, uh, you know, Janet Lee's Marion Crane is going to survive. Maybe just this once, you know? And uh, it's the same thing with A Nightmare on Elm Street. Even though you know Nancy is the final girl, she's the hero, every time I turn that movie on five minutes in, I'm like, wait, who who is the lead? Who is the hero? Yes. I mean, we're spending a lot of time with her. Why? Why? I, it's possible, you know, maybe she'll survive this this showing. I'm still waiting for that to happen, and it never has. I, I you know, one can hope. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I think it goes... I think it goes back to what you said about uh, Mr. Wes Cravens. You know, he gave everyone ample time, ample screen time. Oh, I mean, screen time. And you really didn't know who was who until things started to settle themselves out. But I hope all of those guys look back today and say, man, this guy really helped push our career in a great direction. Sure. I mean, would we know who Johnny Depp is were it not for the fact that Cravens yeah. saw something in him and cast him in the first place i mean who knows um it's fascinating to ask uh and i you know i lord craven's filmography even for you know the occasional entry which may not be that great i mean he's he has to have if not the best i mean one of the best uh filmographies of any horror director really any director period i mean he he made something iconic with his very first movie, which is The Last House yeah. on the Left, and he followed it up with The Hills Have Eyes. And then, you know, a decade later, he gives us A Nightmare on Elm Street, which becomes a phenomenon and completely redefines the genre. And he does it again uh, in the 90s with Scream. I mean, that's three huge movies, three massive touchstones that we have in the genre that all come from the same director, and they're all completely separate totally from one different. another. 
<laughs> Even though, I mean, you know, if you look at his filmography, you mentioned it at the start too. I mean, there is that uh, that theme that guides his work more often than not—the notion of uh, the sins of the father being revisited on the son, or the children in this case—and. Um, yeah that coming back to haunt him. And it seems like that drove him quite a bit in his work, even the stuff that he didn't write. I mean, you look at scream and you know, it's even there with, uh, you know, Sydney's mother. And, uh, yep. but obviously, you know, I mean, I would think that the, uh, certainly the most that it was ever dwelled upon, uh, in his filmography would be a nightmare on Elm street. It would be, uh, the idea that the threat, you know, the villain is, he only exists through the actions of the parents of our heroes in that movie. And it's, uh, it, it kind of acts as a combination, I think of that sort of mob mentality, uh, that the parents had and the, the notion that they were, uh, you know, seeking out revenge as opposed to just turning him in or giving him over to the cops. And, you know, you can sympathize with the parents still, I mean, with what happened. But at the same time, if they uh, hadn't taken the law into their own hands, then uh, their kids wouldn't be getting killed in the present day, you know, during the story anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And and plus, too, I, but thank goodness in a way that they did, because otherwise we wouldn't have Freddy Krueger. And you look at him. He is, I think, one of the greatest boogeymen of yeah. all of cinema you know he stands up there with uh uh darth vader and a shark from jaws i think is one yeah. of the greats uh <laughs> and i think no, you... I'm, oh, I'm, sorry. I'm in total i'm in total agreement with that i think i mean i can i think he's i'm i'm in agreement with you that he's definitely one of the best if not the best i mean just the, i got the body you got the brain oh just <laughs> Just certain things. They even made a song, One, Two, Fred is Coming for You. <laughs> yeah, he is given, uh, you know, there, there's so much in that movie like that uh, that song and his look and uh, so much that makes him, I think, sort of instantly iconic. And, you know, I for you, what is it that makes him so, do you think? Uh, you know, is, is it how he looks, you know, the burns and the fedora and the sweater and the glove, or is it more England's performance, or is it the story, you know, the movie, or what is it about Freddy Krueger to you that immediately leaps out as being the uh, the single thing that makes him iconic? Or is it everything altogether, do you believe? Because... You I, know, think, I, think it's, I think it's everything altogether, but what did it for me is the face and the hand. I mean, when... And then... England's performance just took it to a whole nother level because, you know, you already have scary and yes, the character, you could have put the worst actor on the face of the earth in, uh, you know, in that costume and with the face and they would have been scary, but England just took it to another level and just made it even freakier with just certain things he did, certain mannerisms that he did with, with Fred, certain looks he gave you, just holding his fingers up, and it was—it's it's so much stuff I can point to that uh, he brought to that character. And you're right; I mean, that was a awesome, ca awesome cast, and p bringing him along, uh, Robin England was just—it was just awesome. Him in that role. And crazy to think that it was initially meant to be another actor. I think it was British actor David Warner that was originally going to fill the role. And uh, he's a great actor. He's superb. But I, I, I can't even imagine what the horror movie landscape looks like, let alone the movie itself, if somebody else is in that makeup and in that costume. And, uh, 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. The the face jumps out, the, the glove too, and obviously England's performance. And, you know, it's funny though, like even the idea of putting a terrible actor in his place, uh, which apparently they tried to do with the uh, the sequel initially. They, uh, they had toyed around with the idea of replacing England and not bringing him back, and then, thank goodness, uh, cooler heads prevailed there. But, um, you know, you look at something like the uh, the remake. Jackie Earl Haley is a great actor. Mm-hmm. And yet, you Just know... Yeah, he. I mean, he has the glove. He he had, he was assisted by great makeup. He he had the same costume. Um, he again, he's a marvelous actor. But for whatever reason, you know, it just it didn't work. And I, yeah. I I would say he fares better than a lot of other elements in that movie. But at the same time, it's still there's something missing there that X factor where it just didn't quite come together. I I agree with you. Now, can I ask, in addition to Freddy Krueger, what are some other horror icons that sort of immediately stand out for you? Well, definitely, you know, uh, when Scream came out, I was a big fan of that. So, uh, and just the creepiness of Scream. And I can't say anything without saying Michael Myers, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, Freddy is up there, but Michael is uh right behind him (laughs) yeah he was he and you know michael is the ultimate boogeyman too i remember i didn't even see the first movie as a kid i saw like halloween five at first and uh even deluded even being in a sequel uh you know there's something about that character that's just again iconic and just works perfectly and there's no you know if you look at freddy krueger if you look at uh uh, Michael Myers, Pinhead, Hannibal Lecter, Jason Voorhees, Leatherface, the tall man from Phantasm. Yeah. There's no one thing there that you can point to and say that's what makes an icon. So I don't know. What is it to you about a lot of those characters that seems to uh, to stand out and to make them last? The, um, and again, maybe... I, think, I think just the creepiness of how they did what they did with the characters because, you know, Yes, if someone come behind me with a ski mask on in the in the dark, it's gonna be scary. But I think when you have an actor who truly takes on the role or or just embraces everything about the character and bring bring themselves to it, I think it it adds a different um, just a different dynamic to it. And again. Anyone could have put on the ski mask with the clothes, but when you get a certain actor, it's just something about like later on. I know we may t- we may or may not talk about puppet masters, but uh, puppet master. But I'm like, hey, you know, and I and I told the producer, I said you could have got anyone from Hollywood or wherever you wanted to to play Cutley Bear, and then to hear people hear some of the actors in the film say that I've gotten close to, but we don't think it would have been the same without you playing that role. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that too now, because I, I'm mentioning all these horror villains as being horror icons, but you know, there are also iconic horror heroes. You know, there's Ash from uh, evil dead yeah. army of darkness. There's uh Peter Cushing's Van Helsing. We have Sam Loomis from Halloween. Uh, there's a uh, Clarice Starling and Ripley from the alien franchise. So I guess I would also ask, what is it that you think goes into making an iconic horror hero? And now that you've played a scene stealing hero in a horror film yourself, what insight do you have into what it, takes to portray a character like that on screen 
I think, um, I mean, my hat goes off to uh, S. Craig Zola for the writing. You know, Cully Bear says a lot of stuff, and I don't consider myself a funny person. But when I'm watching it and seeing other people laugh, I'm like, I don't get what they're laughing at. But <laughs> when I watched it the second and the third time, I'm like, oh, that that is pretty funny, even though I'm saying it. And I think um, when Dallas and Amanda and all of them, you know, decided to choose me for the role, I love that when we're on set, they let me take it in the direction that I interpreted the character. And I think when you have good producers and good, you know, good directors that give you, yeah, they gave me feedback, but they let me take it in the direction of how I saw the character. And I think that, that made it more real, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I it's a bit dodgy here. I, uh, at the time of this recording, I should note that, uh, Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, uh, will not be out until oh, a few days Friday. from now. So I I can't wait to see it, but I'm going to have to wait to see it until the weekend. And uh, so I hope it's okay to ask is, uh, you know, when we're talking about horror icons, obviously there's the expectation that they're going to continue from one sequel to the next. And that's always certainly true of the, uh, the villains. And we know in Puppet Master's case, obviously there are a lot of iconic puppets that are sequel friendly i mean full moon already did it for 10 or 11 movies but in the case of the movie's heroes specifically your hero do you think that cuddly bear is somebody that you are likely to revisit in the future or i don't know how to ask that without it being a spoiler you know your answer being a spoiler uh this podcast will not air likely until oh i think it's probably going to go up in october sometime but nevertheless like uh, I guess the spoiler is only going to affect me. Can can you say if Cuddly Bear might make a return appearance at some point? I I think you're you're safe that it comes out in October to know that Cuddly Bear may make an appearance. I mean, it's amazing how I'm just I'm just thankful and amazed at how people have been responding. Whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's posting YouTube videos to the character. Cutley Bear to the point of I got a text from the main producer Dallas Sonia saying, Hey, people are asking for a spinoff. And he sent me <laughs> the text with people asking, Hey, we want a Cutley Bear spinoff. And Jacob Knight, who's uh who writes with, I think, uh ah, uh I forgot the birth that birth that moves. Am I saying that right? Oh uh 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 birth movies death. Yeah, Burt movie. Uh, he was the first one that started it, saying if Dallas Saunier and Craig Zola is doing anything, they would make a Cutley Bear spinoff right now. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, baby, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember then, reading that review out of the festival circuit and thinking, yeah, and like, then, I cannot wait to see this character. Oh, yeah. And then after that, about five other people was like, man, if they don't do anything else, we need a Cutley Bear spinoff. And I think it's the little, uh, out, without spoiling it for you uh, before you see it, I think it's the little things that Cutley Bear say. And you'll see it. You'll get your, you'll get your couple laughs. But the, uh, the third person talking Cutley Bear, uh, I just, I, I'm, I'm just amazed at, uh, at how people are really liking Cutley Bear, and uh, and I owe it all to those guys, Craig Zola, Dallas, Amanda, for Jonathan Brownlee, 
I can go down the list of pe- of them just casting me in the role. And the funny part is, I didn't think I did well in the audition. I mean, when I got back home, when I go to an audition, I'm like, okay, out of mind, out of sight. Let me erase everything that's dealing with this so my mind don't tell me, okay, go look and see if you got a response. Go look. So I just erased everything. I was like, well, I won't get that one. And then three <laughs> weeks later, I get something from my agent saying, hey, by the way, you booked that role. I was like, what? And then sitting down with Dallas and saying, hey, uh, I, I don't get it. What? And then they just had certain things that I did or said in the interview. And they was like, OK, that's our Cutley Bear. And I didn't wasn't even a callback. They just that's our Cutley Bear. And I was like, yes, baby. Yeah. So. <laughs> Cut, so, you know, uh, playing the character of Cutley Bear, I just hope and pray that it opens up doors for me to play, you know, for other people to say, hey, we want this guy, Skeeter Jenkins, in our film to give me an opportunity to to show what I can do other than. Cutler Bear, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, absolutely, and I, I, I have to imagine that'll be the case because, again, I every review I've read, you know, uh, definitely points to that character, and even down to the uh, the last trailer that was released. I mean, the uh, the sort of button at the end of the trailer is, <laughs> yes. you know, with, featuring a line from your character. So, I, <laughs> yeah, he is definitely. When I heard that there was going to be a Puppet Master remake, I, I was already there. When I found out that. Uh, you know, S. Craig Zoller is the guy who wrote it, you know, after watching Bone Tomahawk and, uh, you know, Brawl in Cell Block 99. I was yeah. like, oh, my God, he's doing a Puppet Master movie? Okay, I've got to be there. And now it's, you know, even more so than seeing the new puppets, I, I really want to see Cuddly Bear, and I want to see what Udo Kier does with Toulon. Like, those are the two big things now that I'm I'm most anticipating. So, uh, yeah, oh, for me, you, Friday uh, can't get here soon enough. <laughs> you're going to be in for a treat. You need to shoot me a message on uh... – on Twitter and let me know what you think about Udo Pure. Man, he you're gonna you may have your new scary man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I you know, it's funny too, like uh, the idea of a cuddly bear spinoff, that's amazing to me. That I know that Fangoria is getting started out with uh, putting out feature films and uh, it looks like Puppet Master is going to be sort of the uh, inaugural effort, but uh they're also doing Castle Freak, which yes. is another Full Moon remake. And part of me wonders if Fangoria is going to do their own version of like the Full Moon universe. And if they do, and if all of the movies are uh, contemporary, then I, I just want to put forward the idea that in addition to a Cuddly Bear spinoff, I think Cuddly Bear should pop up in all of these movies in some <laughs> manner. You should tie together like the Marvel Universe-ish version of like uh, Fangoria's new Full Moon uh, line of hey, films. I, hey, I I think that would be cool. <laughs> you you just gave me an idea when uh, I'm going to the theatrical release at the Texas Theater this this weekend, and I'm gonna talk to Dallas about. Hey, you know, just about what you just said. Hey, yeah, you know, Cutler Man don't need a big role in in Castle Freak, but let him <laughs> pop up somewhere just so people could be. Hey. That's the guy that played Cutley Bear again. You know, let me be let me be the face of somebody pop up in all your movies because they're definitely doing um, uh, Fangoria, Cinestate. They're they're uh, they're getting ready to do big things. And, you know, I tell Dallas that every time I see him, you know, they they just doing they got their hands in and so much. But the way they doing it is just with class and with dignity and just bringing things back, like bringing Fangoria back. I think yes. I just saw, I just read the other day that 
you know, sometime in the fall, they're doing Satanic Panic. Uh, did you see that? Yeah, absolutely. I believe uh, yeah, Chelsea so, Stardust is going to be directing, yes. so I, I can't wait to see it. Oh, man. And that's supposed to be like a comedy horror, so I can't wait to – I'm like you. I can't wait to see it. But I, when I talk with him, hey, Dallas, a hey, the Satanic Panic have a role for Cuddly Bear? I want to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You should be the character that ties all the films together before the inevitable team-up. You should be like the Nick Fury or the Tony Stark of – the Fangoria verse. <laughs> wow. And I'm even I'm even going to talk to him about, you know, uh, and I hope I don't give this away to anybody else to come up with, but about, and tell me what you think about it, about Cuddly Bear waking up one day and Toulon is, I mean, and for some reason he has this spell cast over him and he becomes a puppet. And Cuddly Bear <laughs> just go and talking in the same and Cuddly Bear just go around trying to get rid of the puppets and then come up with little quirky lines for Cuddly Bear to say as a puppet. And some way at the end of the movie, he becomes a man again. And we're like, what happened? <laughs> I, I'm there. I'm there for that movie. <laughs> so you, as an actor who portrayed that character, then you would say that you are, you're fully open to the idea of like revisiting that character down the line in like multiple sequels. Oh yes, yes. Because it was so much it was so much fun and watching it on screen, you know, you're always you you're always your worst critic, but that was stuff I did that I didn't know I did. Uh that I know that's in proper English, but that was stuff I did that I didn't know I'd done and I was like, Oh, wow, that was that was pretty cool. You know, it's always good. I think it was it's just been amazing. That's that's the best word to use. And and getting love from Barbara Crampton and getting love from Tom Lennon and getting love from all the main cast in the basically all the main cast at cast saying, "Hey, we really like your role." And without without me even acting in it, everybody was coming up, "Who are you, Cuddly Bear?" Oh my goodness, we love your part. We love your part <laughs> in it. So before the film was even made, people were just coming up. Tom Lennon and and you know uh I hope I'm not giving away anything but of all the you know when you go to the editing room I'm like well you know if everything gets cut I know I'm gonna be in one scene and that one scene was a scene with Tom Lennon's little boy so I was like if everything else get cut if I get cut out of everything else I know I got one scene in this movie that they ain't gonna cut out <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I did you have the feeling then when you were playing that character that uh, there was a likelihood that you might continue on? You know, I mean, looking at A Nightmare on Elm Street too, like uh, Robert England, you know, portraying Freddy for the first time. I mean, one could ask him, you know, if he had any feeling as to whether or not he was going to be playing that role for, uh, you know, the next decade of his career. And, uh, you know, and if so, like how... How do you kind of prepare yourself for something like that? The the idea that you might be living with that character for some time. I think you just have to be open and creative and come up with, yeah, you know, give the the character different different movements that they make, different things that they do, different, and just just to make yourself, you know, for Cuddly Bear, I think it's the lines, the, the lines he said with the, and you're like. Man, that that you know, you know, we left. I left out of Oklahoma, and people was like, "Hey, 
can I get a shirt with, with what you said on it? And I'm like, oh, you may be some copyright infringement there, buddy. <laughs> but uh, you you need to, I just kept pointing them back to Dallas. But certain words, Cutley Bear say, people are like, man, it would be great to have that on the shirt. So I'm I'm going to see, because if Cutley Bear start and they keep bringing him back to different things that they're doing in movies, they need to come up with a way to brand. And one of the brands would be, certain words he used in the movie come up with shirts and uh it would just be awesome and i'm open for it <laughs> so what is cuddly bear's version of you're all my children now like do you have any lines that you know are likely going to resonate with audiences in the way that you know uh any of the freddy krueger lines did that people still repeat to this day oh yeah one of them uh i hope i don't spoil stuff for you but one of them is um Cutley Bear gets a little frustrated and he say biscuits and everybody just, bust, <laughs> they just bust out laughing. I mean, it, you know, you could tell I was upset. You could tell I was just mad, And I just say biscuits and people in the, people in the uh, audience just bust out laughing. And, uh, the first time everybody laugh, I'm like, what are they laughing at? Because I couldn't hear the words for them laughing. And then this last time I got to see it, with uh, a crowd and I heard the word biscuits and I'm like, Oh, that's what they laughing at. So the last three times I've seen it at film festivals, I was like, I start laughing at biscuits now. Cause it's kind of funny. It <laughs> just the way I delivered the line. And apparently, you know, I don't consider myself a comedian, but uh, just the timing of what I said and the lines I said, it worked. And I'm like, man, that was, that was pretty cool. <laughs> I can't wait. I Like I said, um, I don't know exactly when listeners are going to be uh, checking in on this episode. It'll likely be October or so. But uh, again, as we're recording, we're just a few days out from its release in theaters and on VOD. And I, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> yes, yes. Maybe you can have me back on after and we can just have a little chat about, hey, how did it go and what's new and uh, did anybody ask me to be in anything else and we can have a little follow-up that'd be fantastic hey I, hopefully we can talk about the upcoming sequels at that point that would be neat yeah. <laughs> and i will let you know after friday what dallas says and you say and you know i'm, I'm kind of kicking myself because i'm missing the la premiere tonight oh no and all of and all of the big guys are going to be there in la uh matter of fact at 7 30 uh what what is LA standard time? I mean, Pacific time? Uh, Pacific, yeah. Yeah. So, well, I guess they're two hours behind us, but uh, all of the big wigs, Tom Lennon, Barbara Crampton, Jenny Pelliser, uh, um, Uda Kier, uh, Mateus Hughes, all of them are going to be in LA tonight for that premiere. And I'm like, man, I should have went to this one. But I got a chance to see all of them with the exception of Alex Bay and Mateus Hughes in New Orleans at that premiere at the Overlook Festival. Oh, nice. Very cool. I am, I am hoping I can make it to a theater. I think the closest one that's playing to me is, uh, I think it's going to be playing in Miami, which is going to be a, a bit of a drive, a couple of hours, but I think it'll be worth it to see it on the big screen. So I, I never would have thought that people would have been given an opportunity to see a Puppet Master movie on the big screen. So, uh, uh, no. yeah, I'm happy. And and I love, uh, you know, the crazy part is, I'm just being honest, now I'm going back and watch 
the puppet masters, but I was never a fan. I'm telling you, Freddie really did a number on me when I first <laughs> saw Nightmare on Elm Street. It literally like, well, that is not a genre I'm going to be involved in. And, and you know, when, when Scream came out and Friday the 13th with all of the hype they got, then I started back into, man, I could do this. I could do, the key is watching the movie all the way through instead of covering my eyes and, and doing stuff that I did when I was a young boy. Now it's, okay, I can, that's just, that's not reality. <laughs> so when I was able to, to decipher that, things begin, I can watch more now. Very cool. So after you watched the first movie as a kid, did you start uh, checking out the sequels as they came out? Or did you have to backtrack? Or uh, have you seen all of the sequels? And if so, what do you think of the franchise as a whole after that first movie? I haven't seen uh, all of the sequels. I, I mean, in all honesty, I just saw the first one. I'm, I'm telling you, it really did a number on me as far <laughs> as, um, like, literally, like, dreams and having nightmares. And Freddie was just, ooh, he was ever-present for, like, five years of my, um, I saw it when I was 12, so... Until I was about 17 or 18, I really would not sit down and watch any horror films at all. I mean, it was, it, it did a number. I have to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> now, would this be down to you having like nightmares about the character as well? Because I, I definitely did as a kid too. Oh, yes. After that, I mean, it was, I had some sleepless nights a bunch of times, just afraid to go to sleep. I mean, of all things that every Jason, you know, Jason don't kill anybody in their dreams. Uh, Scream <laughs> didn't kill anybody in their dream. He killed people as they were dreaming. And I'm like, and I liked it. You know, I dream a lot. And all them dreams got really dark after I saw Freddy. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't. I couldn't sleep for a long time. And uh, I was a night hour after that. Let's just put it that way. If I went to sleep, it was because I was too, my eyes got really tired and I had to go to sleep. Yeah, I wonder if Craven had considered that when he wrote the movie. I mean, obviously, you know, kids can be scared of any number of boogeymen. We can have nightmares about anything that scares us when we're children. And yet there is something extra insidious about, I mean, obviously with Jason Voorhees, it's like, you know, I, on a certain level, it's like, you know what, if I don't want to get killed by that guy. Stay away from summer camps. Uh, if yeah. you don't want to get eaten by Jaws, uh, you know, maybe don't swim in the ocean. Uh, with Freddy Krueger, you know, you're going to have a nightmare about this boogeyman. And that's exactly where he's supposed to be anyway. You know, yes. is your brain ever working on a certain level when you're asleep and you see Freddy Krueger and you're like, good God, this might be it. Uh, yep. <laughs> because I definitely had those dreams as a kid, too. I <clears throat> still do occasionally. <laughs> Even for being a horror movie fan, they... Uh, they can, they can still mess me up a bit, and that one certainly does. I think, you know, Nightmare is a movie that I don't know if I find it nearly as scary as I first did when I was a kid, and yet there is still something about it that's unsettling to this day. With a lot of horror movies, I find that, you know, upon rewatch after rewatch after rewatch, you know, that the power dims a little bit. It's not yeah. quite as strong as that initial viewing. The scares are not going to catch you in the same way. Uh, I just watched uh, a couple of months ago, Hereditary on the big screen. And that movie genuinely disturbed me and scared the <laughs> hell out of me. And yet I know 
when I watch it again, I'm going to be watching it with a completely different eye because I know, you know, that I know where the scares are now. I know what to expect. I, I have that sort of callous, you know, there. And uh, there are very few horror movies that sort of keep their power to me. Uh, the Exorcist is certainly one. But, um, you know, with A Nightmare on Elm Street, again, it's not that it remains scary, but there is something about the concept and there's something about the violence wow, yeah. in the movie that remains, to me, um, unsettling. You know, it, it gets under your skin and crawls around a little bit. And do you feel the same way? Like, uh, when is the last time you caught A Nightmare on Elm Street, would you say? Oh, I can, I'm, I'm kind of like you. It gets a little dim every time you see it. But, it, you know, it ranks up there as one of my classics. And I think because it had such an impact on me as a young boy, and now that I'm older, I think, uh, what a what a great analogy or illustration to put it. It gets a little dimmer. It gets dimmer, 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 dimmer. And then it gets to the point, okay, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't scare me as much. But it's funny. As many times if I, if I, as I have seen it, there are still moments in it where I'm like, oh, my goodness, yeah. <laughs> that just happened. <laughs> Tina in the clear plastic bag like, oh my getting goodness. dragged down the hallways is just something that's chilling. Like, I, and, you know, some of the jump scares, like Freddy at the end, you know, when you have the, uh, the ba- even, even <laughs> something down to the... Uh, Oh gosh, uh, the bathtub sequence with the uh, yes. claws just breaking the water. It's again, there's there's something just extra insidious about that character. I think where he he's constantly lurking, he's constantly waiting. He is he has that alligator with his mouth open, just waiting for <laughs> you to fall. You know, all you need to do is fall asleep, and you're his. Yep. And I can't think of any other horror movie that has a central villain like that. That is. And, as and presently the, scary, you know, because Jason Voorhees, it's a matter of him catching up to you. Uh, yeah. Scream, it's a matter of them planning. Uh, you know, any number of horror movies, it's a matter of them either catching up or surprising you. But with Freddy, it's it's on you. It's on the victim to actually make that, I mean, as it were, uh, a mistake that everybody will have to make at some point. Everybody has to sleep. But Ooh. it's just, it's horrible in a way, in a marvelous way, in a great storytelling way that... It's entirely up to the victims to fall prey to the villain in the movie. And I think that's that's the element that makes it even more creepy. I think I'm telling you, Wes was brilliant when he came up with this. I mean, you 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 said it, nail on the coffin. Every it's something everybody has to do. Regardless how much you fight it, regardless if you stay up twenty four hours. You got to fall asleep at some time, buddy. And <laughs> Freddie is right there waiting on you. <laughs> and then the song doesn't help it at all. I mean, I I didn't want to hear that song ever after I first saw that movie. One, two, Freddie's coming. If somebody told me that, I think we would have gotten a fight. Good thing nobody <laughs> didn't. Because I was like, don't do that. You know, it was, hey, I'm... I'm scared. <laughs> so do you think looking at Freddy Krueger, I mean, when we watch that first movie, he is still terrifying. I mean, he's darkly yeah. funny at times. You know, he, he says the occasional thing that's kind of humorous, but it's not until the sequels, really the third movie, where he really starts turning into that sort of a pun-lobbing jokester of a character. You know, he, he always has a punchline. He's He's got a, uh, a large number of one-liners to toss out for every occasion. And yet... <laughs> 
you know, there, there's something about that even, um, you know, it's like uh, rewatching a horror movie, you know, in a way it's also like revisiting that character and watering him down. Like there's something about having those multiple sequels, I think, that sort of dilutes his effectiveness. Uh, yeah. I, I can watch Nightmare 3 and love it. I think it's the best of the sequels. Uh, I can watch four and think it's great. Uh, I can watch Freddy's Dead. Well, no, I won't. I won't watch Freddy's Dead. But um, <laughs> you know, but even with those, even with the later sequels, even the ones that I like, there is um, there's just that feeling that he's no longer scary. And it's not even like the movies are trying to treat him as the threat anymore. I mean, obviously he's the villain. We know he's the one that is going to be killing all the kids, but they kind of treat him like the hero. They, you know, at that point, the movies know that you're showing up not to watch uh, somebody like Nancy, you know, save yeah. the day or live through it. You're showing up to watch Freddy Krueger. And, uh, but as a result, he's no longer that scary. And um, I don't know. Do you, uh, do you sort of agree with that? Or do you think that I- I'm just wondering if we ever get to the point where we are going to revisit Freddy, if they can ever try and make him scary again. And I think for all of its flaws, they have uh, to. Yeah. I, I would hope to, uh, you know, and they tried with the remake, you know, it, the remake I think is a failure. Uh, but I think you can tell that they attempted to make him frightening again, but I don't know what, as a fan of the original movie, where would you like to see the franchise go at this point? It seems dead at the moment. And yet, you know, uh, you can't keep a good boogeyman down, I don't think. So would you prefer to see, like, a sequel to the remake to see if they can get it right this time? Do you want to see a sequel yes. to the original franchise? Do you want to see, like, a, a Halloween 2018-style sequel that ignores everything but the first film? And i got to say, I wouldn't mind seeing Heather Langenkamp return to play Nancy one last time. But as a fan, what would you like to see next from Freddy? I, I think, uh, back to what you were saying, I think they need to remake the original. Because you know, if you if you can get the original right, you can you can do a lot of stuff from that universe. Kind of kind of what we're doing with with uh, with Puppet Masters. I know a lot of true horror fans and Puppet Master fans are are mad about you know different things that are done with the, with the new Puppet Master movie. But I think. Uh, a lot of people now, especially with all of the re- reviews and all, some of the reviews are, you know, just calling it downright nasty and some <laughs> and a bunch of them are are loving it. And, you know, you're going to get that everywhere you go. But I think it's it's given people I think it's going to do really well, uh, whether it's video on demand and the little short time it has in the theater, I think. It has enough steam behind it now where people wants to go see it. And S. Craig Zola, as your writer, is is helping things out tremendously because pe- a lot of people that saw Brawl in Cell Block 99 and Bone Tomahawk are going to see it just because he wrote it. And a lot of people, Tom Lennon has a big old fan uh fan base and Barbara Crampton and Udo Kier have a have a big fan base and people are going to see it because they're in it. So I think, you know, uh if 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 those if if some of those characters that were in the first one want to come back like Johnny Depp and uh a couple of others and and do something with it, I think I think we can spark something again. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see. And I 
I'm just very curious to see ultimately what form that that'll take because the uh, the remake. I it's crazy to think that the remake is nearly a decade old now, and that's the last time we saw the on the screen. Same thing with uh, Friday the Thirteenth, although apparently that's not returning anytime soon due to legal issues. But um, you know, I we are. <laughs> We're at a time now where horror is super popular, and yet two of the most yes. popular characters are, you know, they're on ice. So um, I, I I hope we get a return to them at some point. Um, and I, I'm yeah. very curious to see how it's delivered to a new generation. But uh, but yeah. What's I, the, I think Freddie has to have a, a wife and a kid in this one. Really? You know, just to, just to, uh, in the remake, if something happens to him, his kid just pops up. And, and that's just my crazy thinking sometimes. <laughs> I, I would watch like a universal horror style Daughter of Freddy uh, sequel. Oh, that would be, Especially that if they would shot it awesome. in uh, black and white. <laughs> that would be super awesome. And and she comes out, claws her way out of her mom's stomach or something. Oh, no. <laughs> in 3d no less yeah <laughs> you're right though i i it will be neat to see if uh when they do bring him back if they do remake the first movie again maybe they won't hew so closely to what uh the first film was you know much like puppet master you mentioned a lot of remakes too i think what makes an effective remake is sort of remaking it well that and you know, to me, just as a viewer, I think um, not hewing so closely to what came before and yet honoring it at the same time. And yes. whether that be story-wise or even thematically, I, uh, you know, uh, Psycho, the remake that came out in 98, I think is so reviled. And yet it's such a fascinating thing why people hate that. Because, you know, you can ask somebody why they hate Psycho 98. And, you know they can say it's a terrible movie, but can they say it's a terrible script? Because it's the exact same script Hitchcock used. Uh, wow. is, it, is it the direction? Because, you know, they had Gus Van Sant directing and he was using Hitchcock's storyboard. So can't say necessarily that it was poorly directed. They had a great cast. You know, they that movie had everything going for it, you know, and yet there's that X factor again. There is something missing there that, uh, you know, makes it completely... I, just being honest, kind of terrible. I think the the Psycho remake is really important to film history because it sort of uh, perfectly illustrates in a way that no film school can or uh, an art of yeah. can. It perfectly illustrates how important a director's own personal vision is to the success of a movie. You know, Psycho should only ever be an Alfred Hitchcock film, at least the way he told the story. And somebody, yeah. You know, if somebody else did a Psycho remake today, well, they did. You know, Bates Motel did its own thing with that uh, that story, and it wound up being something fantastic. So, yeah, I, I, I guess when I look at the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, I, maybe part of its problem was that it, you know, stuck too closely to what Craven did without really paying attention to the important things, the things that made his original film work. And um, so, yeah, yeah, whoever... Whoever winds up picking up that mantle down the road, whoever they wind up casting, whatever story they wind up telling, hopefully they they recognize why the first movie works so well and why yes. it's important. And yet they they can sort of set out in their uh, own direction with it. That's that's my hope anyway. And that's definitely like you mentioned Puppet Master again. Like 
as a fan of you know the original movies, I, I remember being a kid and just loving the the first three films, and uh, you know I'm a sucker for that era of full moon stuff. Uh, and I remember you know I watched as far as the puppets starting to become heroes uh, of every installment. They went from being villains to being uh, kind of superheroes in their own way. Um, I when I heard that there was going to be a reboot and that the puppets were going to be the villains, my first thought was, oh, okay, cool, they're returning them to their roots. But then you hear that the puppets are essentially going to be Nazis, too. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Not only are you making them villains again, but you're turning them into the very things that they fought in the original franchise. But you know what? Yeah. Like, that's why I'm really interested in seeing it, too. I'm like, how, how can you change the characters that much? How can you change the story that much and still keep it interesting? And that's why I'm fascinated to see it. It's why I can't wait to see it. So. I, I think I think it's the political correctness. It is. I mean, there I mean, there's none. So, the, uh, <laughs> so, so, and, and, and I think while people may feel offended at, at, at the same time, they're like, oh my goodness, they really pushed the issue. They really pushed the line with doing this, or they really, really pushed the line in, in doing that. So I think that, that is getting people, especially at the Overlook Festival, I, I couldn't hear none of the movie. Because they were just livid and excited. You thought I thought I was at a football game. <laughs> it was cheering like I've never seen. And some of the stuff, I'm just gonna be honest, my first time seeing it, some of the stuff people were cheering to, I'm like, you are sick <laughs> in my head. <laughs> I was like, oh, how could you cheer for that? And then I was like, the more I started watching, I'm like, oh, my goodness, they really pushed the issue. <laughs> Excuse me. They really pushed the limit with this and this and this. And, you know, uh, some of the reviews, they're saying, well, they missed the boat here. They missed the boat here. But I don't think you're going to find a perfect movie anywhere. I think um, you just have to watch it and, 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 and come up with your own and be and be honest after you watch it and come up with your own assessment of. You know, hey, I like that they did this and they could have went a different direction with this. But just know you're going to see some stuff that you probably haven't seen in a while. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, like as as horror movie fans, too, I think we, you know, seek out that sort of like um, we seek out any number of things to enjoy from horror movies. But certainly like something that's outrageous is uh, kind of attractive in a way. And it goes right back down to childhood too. I mean, we're talking about a nightmare on Elm street, like watching it when we're kids and we're talking about how terrifying Freddy Krueger was and you know, how scary he was and uh, how he haunted our dreams. And yet, you know what, when in the mid eighties, when they started putting out those plastic Freddy Krueger gloves with the plastic claws, I, I went as Freddy Krueger at Halloween. I delighted in dressing up as him and trying to scare people. And I, I guarantee there was probably a dozen other kids in my town who dressed up as Freddy Krueger too. There's something about horror movies. I think that help you sort of, not only do they scare the hell out of you, but in scaring the hell out of you, they help you face your own fears and yes. the point where you want to sort of adopt that mantle for yourself. And it's certainly true of Freddy Krueger. I think more so than any other, any other horror villain, maybe Jason Voorhees, if only by virtue of the fact that it's really easy to buy a hockey mask and overalls, but, um, <laughs> but Freddie is cooler. Freddie is cooler yeah. than Jason any day of the week. <laughs> I mean, yeah, some people may not like us for saying that, but I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, sir, I think that's pretty much just about our time. Mr. Jenkins, thank you so much for your time and for choosing such an iconic film to discuss. And before we wrap up, do you have any final parting thoughts on A Nightmare on Elm Street? No, I'm. it's, it's just a classic. I mean, uh, you know, <clears throat> in certain genres, we all have our classics. And for me, it's uh, Tombstone. Nightmare on Elm Street, they rank up there real high with me as for stuff I can watch. Now, I can watch Tombstone anytime, but now, almost 30 years later, I can watch Nightmare on Elm Street without freaking out, basically. (laughs) (laughs) It, uh... It still gives me nightmares, I'll admit that. So, <laughs> All right, can I ask, uh, what can uh, fans keep an eye out for from you in the future, and where can they find you at online? Yeah, online, I'm uh, I'm on all three of the biggies. Uh, Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram. On Instagram, I'm uh, someone else had Skeeter Jenkins, so I'm official Skeeter Jenkins. Wait a second, uh, who, who else had Skeeter Jenkins? I don't know. You know, I just found out uh, living here in Texas, there's, a, there's about uh, 25 Charles Jenkins. So you, you'll be surprised how many people have your name or just somebody call them Skeeter and they just use that handle. So they, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. So Facebook, Twitter and uh, Instagram. And um, if if well, by the time the podcast come out, People will have seen uh, Puppet Master, uh, and hopefully I can give you some other stuff that I'm in. Um, I know in Easter I'm in a film coming out around Easter called The Penitent Thief. I just did a little series um, that's been streaming on Amazon Prime called Vindication. So that was pretty cool, and that should come out sometime next year as well. It's a TV, kind of a uh more on faith based uh side of things uh TV show so I kind of dazzle in different genres very cool all right well hey thank you again sir I really appreciate it thank you and thanks to all you listeners out there as always make certain to like subscribe share tell your friends about us find us on Facebook and Twitter that's at Scream Addicts and I am at Jinx1981 until next time folks thanks so much and have a great weekend